Are you struggling to get your project off the ground? Is the term research a dirty word? Need help finding more resources? Today, the Center for Nursing Inquiry has a guest to join the podcast. Welcome, Carolyn Fowler. Carolyn is the director of the Center for the Practice of Collaborative Leadership at the Johns Hopkins Hospital. She holds faculty joint appointments at the Johns Hopkins University School of Nursing and Bloomberg School of Public Health. Carolyn, who trained and worked as a nurse in South Africa, is an award-winning educator whose career has bridged public health and healthcare, as well as academic and practice settings. Her unifying career focus has been developing leadership and community capacity to find evaluation-informed collaborative solutions to complex issues. At CPCL, Carolyn's focus is supporting nurses from frontline to boardroom in the practice of trust building, curiosity, and personal mastery. Welcome, Carolyn Fowler. Hi, everyone. Elizabeth Scala here, Research Program Coordinator with the Center for Nursing Inquiry. And welcome back to another podcast. Today, we are bringing you a special podcast with a collaborative effort. So we have two centers within the Department of Nursing currently, the Center for Nursing Inquiry and the Center for Practice of Collaborative Leadership. And in today's podcast, and we have sort of this ongoing series up and coming at you for the next three and then several over time. But for now, an ongoing relationship between the centers. And we've brought Carolyn Fowler onto the podcast today, director at the Center for Practice of Collaborative Leadership. Carolyn, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Elizabeth. Thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to talk to you today. We have some very juicy topics for our listeners. And I just kind of overviewed the center's relationships, you know, the Center for Nursing Inquiry and the CPCL, the Center for Practice of Collaborative Leadership. It's a mouthful. And kind of first off, we want to point out to the listeners, to the nurses in the Department of Nursing, that these two centers do have some overlap between them. They do have some interaction. We're going to talk a little bit about that today related to inquiry and why inquiry projects are collaborative in nature. So I've often heard you say that nursing inquiry projects are collaborative leadership in action. First off, what is that? And then why? Why is it collaborative leadership in action? Oh, well, you asked me to talk about my favorite topic here. <laughs> so thank you. Well, you know, Elizabeth, you've heard us say that for us in the Center for the Practice of Collaborative Leadership, we believe that leadership is a choice that you make. We may or may not be in a leadership role or a formal management role, but we decide to lead where we are and where we practice. And we believe that one of the great important things about leadership is leadership is really about choosing to influence. So when I'm a frontline nurse and I decide that I want to do something about practice in my unit, and it doesn't matter whether I'm going to evidence-based or QI, but I've decided that I don't want to sit back and have things happen in our unit. I want to influence the practice in my unit. The minute I step into that space and choose to influence, I've stepped into a place of leadership. We also believe in our center, though, that there is really no leadership without collaboration. 
because you're not a leader if you're a team of one. And so leaders are people who build teams around them. And we think often of sports teams, but we can also think of orchestras. And whatever your favorite team sport is, we all know that you'll never have a truly great team or a great orchestra if you filled it up with one kind of person who was great at at one thing. And we know that inquiry requires different skills, different talents, different areas of influence to be successful. And so when I choose to influence practice and then I begin to build a group of people who together will ask the important questions necessary to shift that, I think we've really stepped into collaborative leadership and action. The third thing, and this is quick, is that leaders build leaders around them. In fact, I think that's the most important thing a leader does ultimately is that when a leader steps into influencing, they bring other people with them and together they grow in their ability to influence practice. And that's why I believe that inquiry is a perfect example of collaborative leadership in action. Mm, Excellent. That was really helpful to hear your description right here on the podcast. I know we've had these discussions, but to make it really point out that you choose the leadership, uh, you choose to step into that role, that when you're creating an inquiry project, an evidence-based practice project, a quality improvement project, even a research study, you don't want every single human being on the project to be exactly like you, similar to an orchestra that would probably tune in very bad. And then finally, you know, as a leader would, not only are you developing the leadership skills in action, but you are supporting others to grow as leaders. So that's really collaborative. Love those three points. Now, let's say I am the frontline nurse or clinical technician and I'm leading quality improvement and evidence-based practice project. What's the most important thing that I have to do as the leader? I think my answer to this is going to really surprise a lot of people. So I'm just going to lay it out there. The most important thing you have to do as a leader is to create and hold a safe space for discovery. When you get together in a meeting, when you're bringing a team together, what will determine whether or not you are able to truly work in a way that challenges assumptions and and really looks hard at what is going on and what has to change and where have you come from? is the fact that people feel safe. If I don't feel that my opinion will be respected, if I feel that when I say offer a suggestion about where we might look for evidence or a methodological approach, if I feel that I'll be judged or somebody may say, well, you don't have the experience to offer that suggestion, I won't offer the suggestion. And there's no point in building a team if we don't let every team player play. And in order for us to be able to stretch and grow and work together, often for a reasonably long period of time where we may actually feel for a while we're not making gains quickly, we need to feel that we're safe, we're respected, our opinions count, that our perspectives, even if they're not the ones that are finally accepted, were valued and and considered. Without that, nothing else will ever, ever happen. And the reason for it, I think you've heard me say this, Elizabeth, is that the part of our brain that we use for 
for connection, for integration, for synthesis, for learning, you know, our prefrontal cortex, that's that's our executive brain. That's the part of our brain we use in order to do this work. And when I don't feel safe, I can't be in that part of my brain because my brain has to be preoccupied with keeping me safe. And that's the role of a leader is to create a space in which I have the freedom and the safety to be my best team player. Mm, Love it. So as the leader, we're creating that safe environment for the entire team to bring their unique strengths, you know, their attributes. And then as you mentioned, to dialogue and have that ability to trust the team that, you know, differing opinions will be heard and maybe this methodology or tactic will be considered. As the leader, we are creating that space so that our team members can thrive, kind of bring us back to the points, one of the talking points in question one. So I love this. We build this psychologically safe inquiry team. Can you give us some really concrete examples of what we might see when we have a team set up in this way? Oh, yes, I'd love to. And then maybe I can also give you some links to Amy Edmondson talking about this work. Edmondson from Harvard coined the term back in the 90s, psychological safety, and has been working in this area for for decades. And Recently, people may have heard about the Google study, which said, well, what is it about the teams that are the most innovative, the most creative, the most able to to produce in complex and challenging environments? So maybe we can link to that, and then I can turn around and give you some practical things right now to get us going. Definitely. So the first thing you're going to see in psychologically safe teams is a lot of listening. People listening to each other's opinions, people really considering, listening to understand as opposed to respond. You see a lot of curiosity. In fact, Amy Edmondson says that one of the real characteristics of psychologically safe teams is that there's a lot of curiosity. And so people are asking questions. They're considering questions such as, well, how do we know what we think we know? How could we be wrong? How might this thing that looks so obvious to us actually not be obvious at all? What are the different ways that we could approach this? So lots of creativity, lots of brainstorming. You see a willingness to challenge assumptions that people don't very quickly say, oh, that's it. They'll say, well, hang on a second. Let's let's look at what our alternatives are. There is also another characteristic of psychologically safe teams, which is they're prepared to fail but they're not prepared to fail in silence. The the way they approach failure is we want to fail quickly and we want to fail well. And so what they do is that they approach the implementation process as learning. Edmondson uses the term execution as learning. So for many of us, we'll design our, say, our evidence-based project, and then we'll put it into action. And while we're doing it, we're just doing it. And, and we hope it works and, and we learn from it. But the psychologically safe team looks at every encounter and every piece of work as an opportunity to learn something new. Even, for example, we could be saying, how are these meetings working for us? Are they too long? Are they too short? You know, do we need to find a different way of communicating between meetings? Do we need to find a different way to share information? If you can't be here physically because 
we're short-staffed and you can't actually get to the committee meeting. How can we create a situation in which you're still able to participate? You're able to take care of your patient and you're still able to participate. And so you see, you see this sort of dynamic of, of all voices contributing. You also see a process of incremental insight. And so, for example, you may ask me what I think about something, Elizabeth, and I may say, well, I'm approaching it from this perspective, but I'm not completely sure that's it. And then you may find other voices contributing not to correct what I say or judge what I say, but to help move us layer by layer into a richer and deeper insight about what it is that we're trying to accomplish. So it's very respectful. It's allowing everybody who's there to feel that they are contributing to the game plan and they'll be missed, frankly, if they're not there. And so psychologically safe teams are also teams where we want to be present. We're not checked out. We're not disengaged. We're actively present and actively contributing. Perfect. I love that overview. And listeners, we will have links to Amy Edmondson um, from Harvard, as well as the Google study that Carolyn mentioned. Uh, But even in this response, Carolyn, related to what the psychologically safe inquiry team looks and feels like, I was kind of keyed in to this is why the CPCL and the Center for Nursing Inquiry have this overlap. Because within the Center for Nursing Inquiry, Frontline staff are looking to do projects. They're asking curious questions. They need to creatively brainstorm, you know, where to find solutions. And instead of just going straight to a solution that, you know, we want to have work or we think is going to work very quickly, we need to consider alternatives. We need to be willing to challenge the alternatives and really get to that best innovation by that creative brainstorming. So, Carolyn, we're going to wrap up this podcast. But as I mentioned to the audience at the start, we'll have a couple others in terms of speaking to you about these types of discussions, where can people find you? What's the easiest way to connect if someone has a specific question for you? Great. Well, if they want to reach me, they can email me directly at cfowler and the number one at jhmi.edu. And we also have a center email, which is cpcl at jhmi.edu. Excellent. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this podcast, and we'll see you again next time. Woo!